Thank you everybody for joining me on the second episode of the Bulletin Podcast. I discuss a lot about the Bulls' recent games, including their loss against the Los Angeles Clippers. I discuss Jimmy Butler, where he ranks among the league's best. I talk about Rajon Rondo versus Jerry and Grant. And I also give my top leaders for the MVP race. Thank you. Thank you everybody for joining me on the second episode of the Bulletin Podcast. There's a lot to get to today. I want to talk about the Bulls are on the NBA, MVP race, power rankings, and much more. But first I want to talk about the Bulls against the Clippers on Saturday night. Because I feel like that touches on a lot of the topics I had planned to talk to for today. It was a difficult loss. It was a very tough pill to swallow. Especially since the Bulls were up 40-23 to at one point. It was one of those games where you want to look at it as a test, as a measuring stick of where the Bulls are. But at the same time, you have to realize there are on a six-game road trip. This was the third game. They won two difficult games. Well, they won one in Portland, which isn't too difficult. Actually, that's a really positive sign that they blew Portland out of the water without... Rajon Rondo without Doug McDermott without Michael Carter Williams so a game like that you look at it and you're like you know that shows a lot of positivity you look at the game against Utah it was a very grounded out type of game nobody was making their shots we find a way to win and those are the type of games where you look at the complete opposite type of wins once a blowout and one's a very granted out game and both very positive. Now you go face the Clippers, the team with the best record in the NBA. That's a game where you like to look at it as a measuring stick, right? Well, for me personally, I don't really look at it as a measuring stick because even if they got blown out by the Clippers, I'd be like, okay, well, you know what? They're on a six game road trip. They're bound to lose. They're, they were 2 and 0. Oh, on the circus ship first time in 20 years okay that doesn't happen too often so they're bound for a loss right I mean even the 2010-2011 team the team that went to the Eastern Conference Finals they were 4-3 and three on the circus trip they're the only team since the Jordan era to have a winning record on the circus trip and they're 4-3 and three. so you can't really expect this team historically I'm talking about historically to have a successful road trip that is above 500 if you get three and three like Dwayne Wade said it's all love right that's the goal so when you face off at home at the Clippers home against the best record in the NBA you can't expect much so when you start blowing them out in the beginning that's something where you look at and you're like you know what this shows a lot of positivity win or lose it was a good game, but it was still a tough pill to swallow, especially since, all right, hear me out, especially since they had an opportunity to win had the refs not called the late game fouls like they did. They called a few bogus fouls, especially the one on uh, Jimmy Butler on uh, Blake Griffin. The, clock, uh, the, the shot clock was winding down. There was no way the Blake Griffin was going to get the ball up and actually hit the basket 
with a fadeaway jump shot, and they called the foul. No, I mean that's just that's just bogus. Um, you know what? If it happened the other way around, Jimmy Butler got fouled that late game, we would be singing a different tune right now. And I get it, I get it. I mean they got their win. That's good for them. Um, I just to me I don't understand where if you're refing a game and you get Fred Hoiberg ejected, that's something that just you know you're doing something wrong. Take a listen. Rebound. DeAndre Jordan got rid of it quickly. Here's JJ Redick with 10. They're going to foul him. 8.9 seconds to go. JJ will go to the line. DJ did a great job getting the rebound and getting the ball out of his hands immediately. So he didn't get fouled. Technical foul is called in Chicago. The bull bench. Another technical foul. Fred Hoiberg going to get a chance to go to the shower early. So the Clippers can wrap this thing up at the foul line now in a nice neat bow. By my tallies, three technical shots coming and then two free throws for Reddick. There were three tees? Well, one on Gibson and then two on Coach Hoiberg to get him out of there. I like this recording better than the Stacey King one because I felt like Stacey King and Neil Funk, as much as I love them, they're very lost. Like, they're, like, confused. They thought Taj Gibson was ejected. They are and uh, I mean, it's, it's it's kind of funny when you watch it because I was watching, uh, uh, it, I was watching it on the Stacey King version, and you could see Taj Gibson. He's saying that Taj Gibson's ejected, but he's still standing there, and everyone's all confused. Now it was Fed Horber who got ejected. Uh, I thought he did a a decent job at the end of the game. His his reasoning of why he didn't play Taj Gibson at the end and Bobby Porter's it's because he felt like. Portis did a better job defending most baits. Me personally, I don't like it. He said that Portis had a better uh, pick and roll defense. He's the coach. I trust him. I don't know. I mean, to me, Taj Gibson was a no-brainer to be out there, if not Lopez, because a lot of those offensive rebounds, most baits got the uh, offensive rebound, and he passed it off to Jamal Crawford. That was the type of game where I felt like if Lopez was in the paint, if Gibson was in the paint, that rebound would be collected by the Bulls, the number one rebounding team in the NBA. Not when you put out Bobby Portis against Spates. Like, that's just not where I think his strength is on the rebounding end. But regardless, my topic I want to talk about is Fred Hoiberg. There's someone who I wanted to discuss before uh, last night's game anyways. I felt like he's a topic where... He gets blamed for every loss. Like last night, he got blamed for the loss for his rotations. But he also gets no credit for the games that they blow out teams. You know, the Bulls were ranked before yesterday, before the Clippers game. They're ranked seven, uh, They're ranked fourth in point differentials in the NBA at 7.2. I mean, that's something that you kind of have to give credit to Fred Horbury. Uh, whether you like him or not, me personally, I'm kind of indifferent about him. I like the culture that he brings. I like the bond that they have in the locker room. You didn't see this type of thing in 2010, 2011. You just saw a bunch of robots in the locker room. We just want to win. We just want to win. Like, you know, they're all down if they lose. There's no there's no characters in the locker room. They're all robots in 2010, 2011. And I love that team from the bottom of my heart. But they rubbed off on Tom Thibodeau in such a way where there was no human element to that team. 
just a bunch of robots. Fred Horbeck is doing something different. Me personally, I I kind of like him. I mean, I'm indifferent in the sense that I don't think he's the best coach, but I think he brings a vibe to the team that with the help of Dwayne Wade and Rajon Rondo and Jimmy Butler, that vibe has turned into a very positive, very, very positive locker room. Something that just completely fell apart last year. So I like Fred Hoiberg. I mean, the team is running fast-paced offense. He doesn't have the personnel that he initially wanted. But look, he's the one, the moment we signed Dwayne Wade, he's the one who said Dwayne Wade's going to be shooting a lot more threes. Step back, shoot a lot more threes. He went 5 for 9 for 3-pointers against the Clippers. Right? I mean, the coach told him to do that, right? Because the coach trusts him. The coach has a vision. Me personally, I think if you're going to blame Fred Hoiberg, you also give him credit when he wins. If you're going to blame the players, if they if they lose, then you blame the players. Uh, uh, then you give the credit to the players if they win. Like it, it doesn't go like you give credit to the players when they win and Hoiberg when they lose. It doesn't work like that. Last night was a questionable rotation. But again, it's the same dude who blew out a bunch of other teams this season. It's the same guy who, who put a game plan together, who put the offense together, who was running a fast-paced offense, who's playing shorthanded, to be honest. I mean, he's playing shorthanded against the number one team in the NBA with no McDermott and no MCW. Those are two guys that would make a big difference in a game like this. And I think people are forgetting MCW. Don't forget him. Alright, once he comes back, you'll realize what type of puzzle piece the Bulls are missing up until now. Because the rotation is thrown off because now you have Cannon coming off the bench as a primary point guard. And then you have, when Rajon Rondo sits, you got, you know, Jerry and Grant starting. And that's another story that, me personally, I think people get too excited too fast. Me, like, I think Jerry and Grant, two weeks ago, people were saying he should be in the D-League. Spencer Dinwiddie should be recalled from the D-League, right? But now it's like, let's trade Rajon Rondo and let's start Jerry and Grant. No, you're crazy if you think that. There's no way you should start Jerry and Grant. Jerry and Grant is okay. He shows potential. He shows promise, I guess, for a bench player. But he can't dribble the ball without keeping his head up. I feel like he stops. He has no confidence when he dribbles. He has a decent shot. He plays good defense. Those are two important keys off the bench. Those are some good qualities off the bench for a third string point guard. But not for a starting point guard. Not for a primary backup. MCW is our primary backup. And you'll see the big difference once he returns on the court. So that's my little rant about the people who want to hate on Fred Hoiberg. They want to hate on him when he wins. They want to hate on him when he loses. They don't want to give him any credit. And I think that's really unfair. I think people are getting away from the whole Tom Thibodeau mindset where we just want to win. We just want to win. No, you got to enjoy the journey as you're winning. You're not a robot. You're not. You're human. This was a very good 
season so far. This was a very good road trip so far. I know they're eight and five right now, but they also had a lot of games on the road. They're gonna have a lot of games on the uh, at home once they return. So that's a good opportunity to better your record. I think from where they were predicted to be, how bad they were predicted to be, out of the playoffs, eight seed, seven seed. I think they are proving the haters wrong. And I think it's only going to take more time for the haters to realize, you know what? They can actually play ball. They don't need the three-point line because Jimmy Butler's shooting 45% from the three-point line. And he's shooting at a high clip too. He's shooting high-volume shots. He's averaging 24 points per game, right? So, and he's attempting about like two or three threes a game. He's still averaging 45% from three-pointers. Dwayne Wade is... Dwayne Wade has 16 three-pointers this season. That's more than the last two seasons together. Not not combined, because the last two seasons each he had 13 apiece. But he already has more than he had the entire year for the last few years. So don't give me that they can't shoot threes. They can't... No, okay, I get it. They aren't the best three-point shooting team. But they're proving a way that they can at least balance out the roster with their starting lineup by spreading the floor. Nikola Miritich, on the other hand, is a story where you kind of have to hold your head and just, you know, cringe every time he shoots. Because it's if he makes a bucket, I feel more surprised than anything. He went 1-4-7 yesterday against the Clippers. And I'm thinking, you know... I'm thinking between him and Portis, who's your backup? And you know what? Honestly, Bobby Portis is somebody who I was high on before. I'm I'm still decently high on him, but he does not have a lead on Nikola Miritich. He really doesn't. Nikola, Mir- Nikola Miritich lost his starting position to Taj Gibson. That was given to Miritich. That was his starting position to have to spread the uh, to to spread the floor. This was his position. Taj Gibson came in, outplayed him, deserved it, well-deserved, been deserving it for years. There you go. Now, Miritich might lose his position to Bobby Portis. You saw Portis finish the game last night. I don't know. I mean, Miritich, to me, I feel like his value is kind of high. If you want to trade him, trade him. If you don't want to trade him, keep him. But just know that he might... Like last night, he could lose you some games because he comes in and if he's goal if and if he goes one for seven from the field and he's not playing defense, he's a liability. So that's my little rant on on Nikola Meritage. Me personally, I like to keep things a little more positive, and I know the Bulls have a good record. It's just the the loss last night was a bit. You know, disheartening. Also, I think that I'm not sure how they're going to respond against the Lakers. I think I would be more surprised if they came out and blew out the Lakers than getting blown out. Like, a loss like that against the Clippers back-to-back nights on the road, I feel like it's very tiring. You can see them losing a game to the Lakers. 
I'm hoping they don't. Those of you who are listening, you will know the result by the time you listen to this. I think they have a good opportunity, right? I think they have a good opportunity to beat the Lakers because they have more talent than the Lakers. And this team has shown resilience. Like Taj Gibson compared this to the 2010-2011 team where he says that this team doesn't want to quit. They want to, you know, fight through it. They want to push through the uh, wall. This is a team that just wants to win. And if that's the case, they wouldn't lose on a back-to-back game against the Lakers, a less quality team. But then again, you never know. So those of you who are listening, you already know the results. So hopefully the Bulls won. All right, so I want to get out of this whole depressing talk because they are doing very well. It's just that loss kind of bothered me a little bit. I want to talk about Jimmy Butler. Yes, sir. A lot of people, they're like, you talk about Jimmy Butler way too much. Well, guess what? I ain't gonna lie, LeBron, you's a baller. But Jimmy Butler is a baller. Yeah, I'm talking about that man, Jimmy Butler. Put the whooping on the calves, they some busters. I ain't gonna lie, LeBron, you's a baller. But Jimmy Butler is a baller. That song is hilarious. It never gets old. If you haven't seen it already, go on YouTube, type in Jimmy Butler is your father. It was made a couple of years ago by Froggy Froggy Fresh, I think his name is. It's the diss track to LeBron James. It's hilarious. But anyways, on to Jimmy Butler. This dude is having a season that even I didn't think he would have. Me personally, I was thinking if Dwayne Wade's going to average 18 to 20 points per game, he's going to take shots away from Jimmy Butler from the same position. I thought Jimmy Butler would be averaging the same 18 to 20 points per game. Instead, he took he took another step in his progression, thanks to the confidence Dwayne Wade is instilling in him. You see, Jimmy Butler is averaging 24 points per game, 46 from the field, 46 percent from the field. He's averaging 43 percent three pointers per game, and that's shooting around 3.6 three pointers a game too, 6.5 rebounds per game, and 4.0 assists per game. Now, if you look at those numbers, compare them to Derrick Rose's MVP numbers from 2010-2011, you'll see a lot of glaring similarities, except Jimmy Butler's doing it at a better percentage. I get it. Derrick Rose did it in 81 games. He had more points per game. He had more assists per game, right? I get it. Derrick Rose was a better player, a much better player in his MVP season than Jimmy Butler is right now. I get it. I'm not saying that Jimmy Butler is the same player. As Derrick Rose was. I'm saying that is our measuring stick of greatness in a Bulls uniform after the Jordan era. Now let's see what Jimmy Butler is doing since the MVP Rose. MVP Rose was the best Bulls player since the Jordan era. This season's Jimmy Butler within the 12 or 13 games I've played so far this season. He is the best player the Bulls have ever had since that MVP Rose. And that's including the the Rose of the following year uh, during the lockout season and any other player, Joakim Noah's, you know, amazing season that he had where he won Defensive Player of the Year. He came in third or fourth in MVP race, including that year in 2013, I believe. Jimmy Butler is the best player on the Bulls. End of story. And if you listen to Vincent Goodwill's interview... Uh, earlier this week he also talks about how Jimmy Butler 
tells his teammates he's the best player in the world. Take a listen. Vinny, we know Jimmy is very confident about his ability, but to call yourself the best player in the world, well, that's kind of off the charts confidence. <laughs> Are these just motivational tactics or does Jimmy really believe it? Yes and yes. <laughs> I, I think it's definitely a motivational tactic. As Kendall can tell you, as Will can tell you, you have to believe that you're the best player on the floor in a given night. Dwayne Wade says he tells him that all the time. Now, in a quiet moment, Dwayne Wade will also tell you that LeBron James is the best player <laughs> in basketball, and there's really not much dispute in that. But for the sake of this team to be good, Jimmy Butler has to put up the type of production that he's put up over the last six games, or at least since that loss to the Pacers. 30 points, 7 rebounds, 7 assists. Not saying he has to average that, but he has to be a threat to produce like that every night. And for that to happen, that means he has to believe that he's the best player in the NBA. Listen, I'm not going to hate on the guy if he thinks that he's the best player in the world. If it gets him to wake up every morning and play the way he does and help the Bulls win the way they do with him carrying them on his shoulders at the end of the game, I'm not going to hate on him for thinking that. But with that said, it's really hard for me to believe that he's the best player in the world when you have James Harden averaging 28.7 points per game and 12.5 assists per game. Yes, I said James Harden. And yes, I said 12.5 assists per game. Alright, you have Russell Westbrook averaging 31.7 points per game with 10.1 assists per game and 9.6 rebounds per game. He's 0.4 rebounds away from a triple-double. Averaging a triple-double. That is insane. Okay, that is insane. So if Jimmy Butler wants to believe he's the best player, go ahead. We all know he's not. And with that, I would like to transition this topic to the MVP race. Now, the MVP race is an in interesting topic. On every website, they have a different order. And that's because they factor in a lot of different things. Some people care about stats. Some people care about PER. Some people care about the win-loss. Some people care about the big names. Me personally, I like to think that I like to put it all together and make each individual category be a big factor. So the win-loss is a big factor and the stats that you put on is a big factor to go along with your roster. So at number one and number two, I have James Harden and Russell Westbrook. They are neck and neck. You can tell me Westbrook is number one. You can tell me James Harden is number one. I won't argue with you. The reason why I'm putting James Harden at number one, he's averaging 28 points, 28 points per game. 12.5 assists per game, 7.8 rebounds per game. The reason why I put him at number one, although I know Russell Westbrook's stats in general are identical, if not a little better. Harden's at number one because <clears throat> he has teammates that he has to create for. He has to do everything. From, from the moment he steps on the court, he has to do everything. Run that offense. Russell Westbrook, on the other hand, while he is averaging a great 31.7 points per game, 10.1 assists per game, 
9.6 rebounds per game. Okay, he's 0.4 rebounds off of a triple-double. The reason why I have him at number two is because he still has Oladipo. He still has Stephen Adams. He still has Ennis Cantor. He still has this nucleus of players that they had last year with the addition of Oladipo. So with that said, I think with both players at 8 and 5, above 500, I think they have a neck and neck at 1 and 2. Got Harden, you got Westbrook. At number 3, I like to uh, personally reward winning. So I'm going to give Chris Paul the nod. At, he has he has the Clippers at 12 and 2. His numbers aren't that impressive. They're 18 points per game, 8.6 assists per game. Those are his career stats. Uh, his season stats look exactly like his career stats. So with that said, I believe he has earned the right to be in the top three conversation if he has the Clippers at the number one record in the NBA. Number four, I'd like to say it's Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is a player where I don't feel comfortable giving Golden State any credit when it comes to the players performing at a high level. So Kevin Durant, if he's so good, how can somebody say he can be MVP if he has Steph Curry on his team? MVP, what does that stand for? Most Valuable Player. Okay, Kevin Durant's averaging 28 points per game, 8.0 rebounds per game, and 4.4 assists per game. Those are great numbers, right? But Most Valuable Player. Is he really the most valuable player when Steph Curry's averaging 26 points per game himself? Like, is he really? can you really say he's most valuable? Because to me, it's a toss-up between the two at this point. You know, Curry has two MVPs. Durant has one. It's, a, it's honestly a toss-up between the two. So I have him at number four only because of their record at 11-2. and two And the fact that he's able to put up big numbers regardless. So I have him at number four. Number five, I have LeBron James, a guy who... I know it's crazy to say this, but he's fallen under the radar this season, last season, the season before that when you talk about MVP talks. He's averaging almost a triple-double, but somehow that is a decline from last year. He's averaging 23 points per game, 9 assists a game, 8.4 rebounds per game. Those are some great numbers, but his scoring went down, so people kind of overlook him, and it's like, Dude, this dude is for real. Okay, he is for real. So, he can earn another MVP, I believe, before he retires. I don't know if he will. I had him, I predicted him winning the MVP before the season began. <clears throat> Who knew that James Harden and Russell Westbrook would be walking triple double machines? Who knew the Clippers would be the number one seed in the NBA? So with all that, I know it's early, but LeBron James is number five, and I believe he'll bring up his numbers to get back into that top three conversation this season. Number six, I have Blake Griffin, mainly because, again, you want to reward winning, and it's not just Chris Paul why the Clippers are the number one seed in the NBA. It's Blake Griffin, too. I mean, Blake Griffin's averaging like a great 21 points per game. A great 9.4 rebound per game. You have to reward winning, right? And same reason why I have Curry at number 7. You know, he's winning. They're winning. You have to reward winning. So I have Curry at number 7 at 26 points per game. 
But here's the issue I have. Now is debate number eight. Number eight through ten. This is where I have an issue. This is where stats don't really match your win and loss record when you talk about MVP talk. Now Kawhi Leonard, this dude it was a defensive stopper. That's why he came in the league. He had Spurs at ten and three, being the number one option, averaging twenty five points per game. I would love to move him up on the ladder, right? But to me, honestly, Curry and Griffin, because of what they've done for their team, they kind of get the nod ahead of him. Kawhi Leonard is number eight, but trust me, he's not going to be number eight for long. Okay, he's going to be in the top five conversation very soon. I can promise you that. He's averaging at a high percentage. He's he's shooting 45% from the field. He's he's has 2.4 rebounds per uh, 2.4 steals per game. He's doing everything that he needs to do. The win loss percentage is the one thing that it's kind of holding him back in that top five conversation right now. But I'm telling you guys, he is, I he's a lot better than I realized he would be. I did not think he could be averaging 25 points per game. But then again, who knew Jimmy Butler, who I have at number nine, is it going to be averaging 24 points per game? And I have Butler at number 9 mainly because he is leading the team. I have him ahead of uh, DeMar DeRozan who's averaging 33 points per game. It's because Jimmy Butler is doing more on the court on both ends, right? Butler's averaging 1.8 steals per game. He's He has the team running through him at the end of games. The Bulls are 8-5. and five, Raptors are 8-4. and four. You know, it's honestly a toss-up between those two again because DeMar DeRozan is having a phenomenal season, right? Phenomenal season. But it's one of those things where you can't really reward him at a higher number because he's not winning that many games. He's only scoring. He's not doing. He's not playing any defense. He's not doing much else. So if you're just talking about scoring, I threw him in the top 10. I get it. And a player like, and, and I want to give a, 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 a notice to Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis is a guy who is averaging 31.7 points per game, almost uh, 11 to 12 rebounds per game. This dude is just in, insane. Three blocks per game, two steals per game. But again, he doesn't have the Pelicans where they need to be. So with that said, these are my MVP selections so far this season. So I want to take a little break from basketball talk. I want to talk about something I did over the weekend. I watched the Fantastic Beast, the Fantastic Beasts, I think it is, uh, over the weekend on Friday night. Me personally, I'm not into the whole fantasy movie, the sci-fi movies. I'm not, I'm not into that stuff. I did happen to watch all Harry Potter movies though. So this was kind of a spin-off from the Harry Potter movies. And for those who are debating if they want to watch it or not, if you're honestly, if you're into that type of movie, you'll love it. But man, it was a long movie. It was super long. So if you're really not into that, just, you know, and you're being forced to go, you know, with your wife or girlfriend or whoever it is, if you're forced to go, just know that you're going to be committing at least a good three hours to this. Because I think my movie that I went to go watch on Friday was like started at 6. And I don't think, I think after the trailers and everything else, I don't think we were done until like 9 o'clock almost. So like 
you're going to be committing a lot of time to that which is cool if you like it but you know it was kind of a the thing for me is i just watched doctor strange about like two weeks ago i think and to me that was super sci-fi mystical and every other term you want to use it was too much of that so when i watched that this fantastic beast was a huge step up from it so like i was expecting it to be kind of you know nerdy quote unquote but it actually wasn't that bad at all it had a nice story to it uh it had a nice i guess feel of harry potter in it because it had the music in the background and whatnot so in case you were thinking about watching that movie anytime soon i would say it's worth watching in theaters i watched it in imax and it was it was a lot of fun uh in terms of the presentation on imax the story was kind of long but it was put together very well and now with that i want to get back to some basketball talk i want to talk about jerry and grant i want to talk about rajon rondo and i want to talk about the bulls point guard situation so i know i touched touched upon it a little bit talking about mcw talking about canon talking about once mcw returns you know the whole dynamics and a change off the bench but I want to talk about the people who think Rajon Rondo is a bad fit. And I just don't think he gets enough credit for what he brings to the court. Not physically, but mentally. That he's a, a huge extension of the coach on the court. Like, I know he struggles with his shot. And I know people got really happy when they saw Jerrion Grant score 18 points in his debut as a starter. I know how happy they got. They saw potential. They said, hey, we got a point guard who can shoot now, right? Well, to be honest with you, I think people get a little out of control when they see something positive. And especially since Rajon Rondo struggles with his shot, I think his shot is something that is well documented in his career. His shot is something that will continue to be an issue. But as long as he's able to find his players and the thing about his his success with teams is if his teammates are willing to find uh, are, are willing to come off screens, if they're willing to run the court, if they're willing to move around without the ball, he not only gets them the e- easy basket, but he's actually able to do his job. Now, if people are are stagnant. If the office, the uh, the offense is stagnant, and he's forced to dribble, 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 and then take a really difficult layup. Yeah, he's gonna suck. Yeah, if, if the defense you know stags off of him and he has to shoot a jump shot, yeah, he's gonna suck. But that's the thing though, like it's he's only as good as his teammates make him, and his teammates are only as good as Rondo makes him. So it is a huge correlation between the two, a huge. If they run without the ball, if they move. Uh, without the ball, he can find them. He looks good, right? Because he's able to do that. So here's a little clip of KG on his new show or new segment on TNT. I know it's crazy. KG joined the media. But here's KG in Area 21 talking about Rajon Rondo this season. I tell you, man, this kid right here is misunderstood. One of the most hardest, hardest working guys I've ever played with right here. Knows the game, watches endless film, IQ through the roof. You know, all beasts gonna come off like, you know, a certain type of way. Everybody's not gonna understand that wild animal, that beast that comes out because everybody ain't built like that. 
if you get that type of compliment from Kevin Garnett, that means you're doing something right. You're doing something where you can say that this dude is a competitor to say the least. Forget about talent. Forget about what he brings. He's a competitor. And that's what the Bulls need. That's something where, I hate bringing it up, but that's something where you kind of question where Derrick Rose was mindset-wise towards the end of his stint as a Bull. You can question how he took games off or how, honestly, he just did not feel like, I honestly did not feel like he was competing in some of the games that he was playing in. Like He was just, you know, he was scored 9 points, 11 points, and it's just like, this is not the Derrick Rose that we knew before. This is someone who is just coasting for whatever reason. I don't know why. But Rajon Rondo, to say the least, whether he's putting up big numbers or not, you could see on the court he's diving, he's actively looking for guys, he's talking to players, coaching them, he wants to win, he's a competitor. So with that said, I think it's absolutely crazy when when people say, you know, is is Rondo worth keeping on the Bulls? Yes, he is. Trust me. As of the season, uh, as of this season, he is worth it. But anything beyond that, he's on a short-term deal. That's to discuss later. But this season, yes, we need him. Being extension of Fred Horbrick, we need him. All right. So I want to talk a little bit. I'm going to end the show with this little segment that I thought of. I want to talk about my five favorite Bulls players since since the Jordan era. Now, it's easy to say if I de- if I took off the Jordan era restriction, it's easy to say Jordan Michael Scotty uh that's a Jordan Michael <laughs> Jordan Scotty Rodman, you know, you could add in Derrick Rose. It's a pretty limited list that you have because there's like three Hall of Famers in that list and then you have Derrick Rose, who's probably going to be a Hall of Famer. And I know people are freaking out about that. But just to let you know, if you want at least one MVP, you are almost guaranteed a shot into the Hall of Fame. So as long as Derrick Rose continues to play half decent, you will be put in the Hall of Fame. Whether you like it or not, that's fine. I don't care if you disagree or not. That's just the facts. If you look at the Hall of Fame list, they have one good season. They get one MVP. You're thrown in the Hall of Fame. With that said, I'm going to take the restriction upon myself to limit myself after the Jordan era. So with that said, I'm going to pick number one is Derrick Rose. He was my favorite player on the Bulls. I'm not talking about the best players. I'm talking about my favorite players on the Bulls while they were here. So it was Derrick Rose. He was something that he brought life back to Chicago. He brought something that you you did not think that Chicago would ever see in a long time. He brought them to the number one seed, Eastern Conference Finals, put them on the map. You know, after all those tough years, after Jordan left, it was just absolutely crazy. Almost 12 years went by. It was was a very dark time in Chicago when it came to Bulls basketball. He brought life back into it, put us back on the map, number one. Number two is Ben Gordon. I know, okay, Ben Gordon is just like someone you, first of all, what the hell happened to Ben Gordon? Like He just took a big contract in Detroit, disappeared, fell off the face of the earth. Uh, I think he, he played in Orlando for a little bit. I, I really don't know 
what's going on with Ben Gordon. But while he was a bull, he brought that excitement. He was like a microwave. Like he would just heat up in the fourth quarter. I think that was Johnny Ricker's uh, nickname for him. You know, you could always count on him to make the big shots, the Boston series, big shots, game winners against Denver, against New York. You know, those are some big, big buckets that he had. Uh, this is somebody who I absolutely loved. Uh, he's someone who I used to watch games with my dad, and my dad used to be like, oh, this guy's going to break all of Jordan's record. Obviously, my dad doesn't, you know, watch that much basketball. You know, he was just, I don't know, I hope he was kidding when he said that, but, you know, it just shows that Ben Gordon brought that kind of excitement to Chicago. So I really like Ben Gordon. I loved watching him, you know, win or lose. My eyes were on Ben Gordon because the way he was able to release at a high point was incredible. Number three, I'm going to go with Joakim Noah, right? Joakim Noah, the heart of Chicago, the soul of Chicago, the way he would beat his chest, everything about him, man. You know, I initially didn't want him to get drafted. I wanted us to draft Spencer Hawes. I was wrong. I admit it. You know, this dude with absolute, honestly, with no talent at all. I'll, I'll say that. Joakim Noah has no talent. Besides passing the ball, he has no talent. His only talent is how much he cares, how much he wants to win, his hustle. He is someone who just absolutely, just I, I can't put it into words. Like he just works so hard. He's somebody who you look at and you're like, this dude made it. Right? In his first season, he was so clumsy. And this dude became, what, third in the MVP list, defensive player of the year? Like, it's just incredible. Uh, number four, I got Jimmy Butler. Um, I know I talk a lot about Jimmy Butler. I love Jimmy Butler. You know, but I know a lot of you are surprised he's not on my top three. Uh, you know, I understand the history of Chicago before I can even talk about the present day. Jimmy Butler's on there. You know, again, he's another story where he's he's not supposed to be here, but he's here. Derrick Rose was given the keys to the franchise when he walked in as a rookie. Jimmy Butler had to take the franchise keys away and be like, this is mine. You know, and you got to respect that. You have to respect somebody who's not given anything. He's not handed anything. You know, he's absolutely just, you know, overlooked. Throughout his career, he was overlooked in college, high school, in the NBA in the beginning, and he just took what was what he wanted, and now he holds the keys to the franchise, and you have to respect that. And number five, I'm going to go with a good old-fashioned, toughest white guy I've ever seen, Captain Kirk, Kirk Heinrich. Absolutely love him. He's the dude who, just on the floor all the time, runs the offense. He's just that very smart basketball player I get it towards the end of his career he didn't do much for the Bulls and that's mainly because he's got really old that like I mean, that's about it but when he was when he was younger those of you who have watched him grow as a bull and he was traded to Washington came back took a pay cut because because uh, Milwaukee paid him or was offering him more money almost double the money he took a pay cut and you know became a bull again and then was traded and I think a lot of people were upset last year when he was traded. So Kirk Heinrich is my fifth choice for my top five favorite Bulls. And with that, I'd like to thank you guys for joining me for the second episode of the Bulletin. 
it's a lot of fun i'm having a lot of fun just please rate and comment uh on the podcast itunes you know soundcloud whatever it is however you listen to it rate it comment on it share with your friends you know it's it's a lot of fun for me to do but it's more fun if it starts growing even more and more successful so with your help that's the only way it can get done thank you again and i'll see you guys next week